White Sox fans, it's your very favorite Chicago White Sox fan out there, Brett Ballantini. Hi, I'm hosting Southside Sox Mothership Podcast is number 76. It's been, well, I don't know, a week, 10 days, two weeks. Hey, sorry we went away. <laughs> like the White Sox did anything. Okay. Hey, welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about what the White Sox are doing or not doing. Oh, and actually, we got a big list of stuff. If this was one of those yelly, screamy shows, or if SB Nation paid us more, you'd be seeing something like down the side of the screen, like talking about all the topics you can start anticipating and start sweating a little bit about what's coming up next and what is Brett or Adrian or Joe or Crystal or Zach going to yell about next. We might do that anyway. Just no list. Okay. We got Adrian Serrano, designer. If you're watching, you're checking out some tasty threads. If you're not, hey, just another, just another bit of dead air. We do that. Oh my God. Can you believe it from the Indianapolis field office? Holidays don't matter. Dead free agents don't matter. The Ori's back. So they both decided to show up. It is sitting cubicles right beside each other. It is Crystal O'Keefe and Super Joseph Rhesus. Welcome, Indianapolis. Thank you for representing the ET. And Zach Hayes, who, by the way, just put it up. Actually, to, yeah, working overtime, working overtime, podcasting right after writing articles. Joseph Rhesus throws up the Leori Garcia piece, not shock piece, but he signed. And then Zach Hayes with the analysis saying, hey, White Sox, guess what? Did you actually play defense? Did you actually play <laughs> 2020s baseball? Kendall Graven might be a good sign. Otherwise, Scott Linebrink. Okay, anyhow, welcome, everybody. Uh, hey, let's talk about these signings. <laughs> the White Sox have made a big splash by bringing back Leary Garcia to be super utility man slash probable starter. And Kendall Graveman, apparently... Uh, Ryan Tapera for uh, the next three years. Uh, go. Yeah, the Graveman thing definitely feels like, all right, well, then I can't see them paying Ryan Tapera for uh, the money that they gave Graveman. Um, Larry, I think I put it best earlier when I told somebody, like, Larry is the guy that helps you get to the playoffs healthy, but he should never be the answer at any position in the playoffs. So as long as that's how he's going to be used, it's a great signing. If he is the starting second baseman that we had at home, then it's another conversation. <laughs> we have a, we have a merch dilemma. All right. That's a sidebar discussion for after the podcast. Uh, who else is excited or not? Or. Yeah, I, I know I don't believe we've gotten a confirmation on the dollar figure for Garcia's um, deal yet. Um, I imagine it's not going to be too costly, and it's hard to imagine it being something that the White Sox will look back on and regret down the road. I would agree uh, with the feeling that he should not be the plan A at second base or really any position heading into the season. But is it great to have him on the team? Absolutely, and especially for you know three years team control at i imagine a pretty affordable price especially compared to what um, free agents are going for so far this offseason i imagine this won't close off any doors for them financially you never know for sure i guess but it's hard to imagine this one being a, a burden to the point where you know reinsdorf is going to say "Ooh, well thanks to this garcia deal we can't really afford this player who otherwise we could have 
and would be very useful. So um, I, overall, I'm, I have a positive reaction to the Garcia deal. Joe, we've probably done 50 Meet the Players uh, surveys. I think most of them have published at Southside Sox. Still probably more to come. And funny, no one listed Leor Garcia as the next White Sox statue or the next retired number. Gotcha. <laughs> Reinsdorf has got something in store for you. Hey, Crystal, Zach, what do you think about this? I was not even remotely surprised. Um, I love, I mean, I love the guy. I don't have any actual issue with him. Like others have stated, he's fine when you're trying to get there, when you're trying to get to the playoffs and you just need a healthy body on the team. And you know what? Good for him for getting his money. He's going to have like a nice pension now because he'll have reached his 10 years with the team. So good for him for getting his money. Um, Otherwise, I just am numb to everything that has happened so far. We'll get to that, Crystal. Uh, Zach, you just broke down Grayman and as as usual, terrific, terrific manner really explains why, why really if the White Sox do the right thing, we should be super excited about Grayman. And if they do what we know they're going to do, maybe not. Yeah, man. Graven's a good pitcher. Uh, we saw it up close. He, sh- he shut down the White Sox. He shut down a lot of teams in the playoffs. He's, he's a good pitcher, but um, we also saw how the White Sox just did Aaron Bummer in terms of uh, positioning and stuff like that. And Graven is not a, he's a pretty similar type of pitcher. He's not as extreme as Bummer, but he gets a lot of ground balls. He throws a hard, heavy sinker and a slider that wasn't very good until recently, but is now very good so like the parts are all there so even if everything doesn't go right he's still probably a pretty good pitcher uh he had a 1.77 era this past year so people are probably going to look at that and hold him to a pretty high standard so uh unless the white Sox start shifting more this is kind of the crux of what you're going to read uh you probably can't expect that again because the Mariners and the Astros shifted their infield almost 50 percent of the time with Graveman. he puts the ball on the ground 55 percent of the time um that's the reason, part of the reason why Graveman overperformed his expected numbers and Aaron Bummer underperformed him by about the same amount. So, uh, yeah, good signing, good signing, good value. But as usual, the White Sox need to get out of their own way and, you know, let him ride. Um, speaking of what Kendall Graveman did to us in the playoffs, Rick Hahn today, uh, not that I know, because as, as some of you are aware, internally apparently i've been dropped off of the white Sox press release list again so i'll call him and beg again anyway that's beside the point it's for a different podcast in the future wait for that one white Sox. uh rickon was calling him you know consummate team guy clearly uh based on the um hullabaloo created when seattle traded grayman to houston which the mariners players the clubhouse took to mean Mariners uh, front office has given up on the season, uh, but also I think speaks to probably what the guy means to the clubhouse. Um, so I would shade Rick Hahn here, but Tony LaRussa in the playoff series wasn't real pleased with Kendall Graveman because apparently he was, he, he was trying to get thrown out of the game, right. And uh, at, the, at the end of the game, that, that uh, pitiful game four. Um, uh, you expect any, type of chemistry issue with Tony LaRussa from Graveman, given the fact that apparently he was just the last of 350 pitchers last year to drill Jose Abreu and this time in the playoffs in a runaway game. 
No, I mean, it, it, at this point, like they're all just going to say whatever. It's like a, the teacher that doesn't really pay that much attention to the class. Like everybody loves that teacher. You can kind of just do your own thing and uh, everything's cool. So like, a, it's, it is what it is. Like you'll never hear about it again. That's that doesn't seem to be a Hall of Fame baseball person, the teacher who no one listens to. Go away, tax. You know what you got to do. Uh, and each, I mean, obviously, I'm. This is sort of a joke question, but I just think it's funny that you know, that's the that's their first signing, and that might be their splash signing of the off season. God forbid, but it might be. The thing I took away from uh, Graveman speaking a little bit at his introduction is that he specifically talked to the White Sox and they specifically told him that Liam Hendricks is going to pitch the ninth. So, like, we continue to try to have as little leverage as possible in this Kimbrel deal that is or is not happening. And I'm just at this point, like, pretty sure that Kimbrel's going to be there. I don't know what innings he's going to pitch in, but I feel like he's going to be on the White Sox in 2022. And let's not forget that uh, just that, I mean, I get it. The communication being there is great because Graven could come in saying, I'm not being paid like a closer, but I want to be whatever. Uh, But uh, the fact that the White Sox are still, (laughs) speaking of shifting being, uh, non-shifting being antiquated, uh, antiquated notion of, well, Liam Hendricks can only pitch in the ninth. No matter that he pitched in the ninth in like eight garbage games in the playoffs, he's just going to pitch in the ninth. Um, I would still like to see, I think, our, our colleague Luke Smale, who tweeted this out as well, uh, and I'm sure most of us would, uh, I wish Tony Larusa and Ethan Katz would adjust a little bit more for leverage and not just say, hey, it's the eighth inning, Get, Kent, uh, wake up, uh, Graveman, wake up, it's your, you know, it's your turn. Um, but I, hey, Zach, anybody, what's more likely? Socks shift more, I mean, not more, because they almost have to, they could fall out of bed and probably shift more. Socks adjust to major league modern baseball with defensive shifting or a, a leverage a relief for a relief use for 2022 uh, or is both is there no chance of, of either happening man they just send us so many mixed messages in terms of whether they actually get it or not because sometimes they do kind of say things and operate in ways with, you know, hiring Ethan Katz and what he has clearly been able to do. That's an outside the box kind of thing that makes you think, okay, maybe they're kind of, they're kind of on board with, uh, with the way things are going. And then they do other things and you're like, do they even know what baseball is? Like there's sometimes <laughs> it's, it's really hard to say. I don't think <sighs> unless you could tell me what specifically is in the hands of Tony LaRusso and what specifically is in the hands of others within the organization. I don't think I could tell you what the likelihood of that is, but as long as Tony is at the helm, I think we have our answer, you know, um, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Anybody else, any realistic chance, whether with defensive shifting or a bullpen usage, do we think based on the experience the White Sox had, which was, I think pretty rough in both categories last year. Uh, is there any chance we see a marked improvement in either of those categories, or, or do we think they are going to just stay the course and play it, uh, win an ugly 1983 uh, Tony Larusa baseball style? I don't think Tony has the capacity to change anything at this point. I really think he was pleased that they even won the division. So clearly nothing is broken. So let's just stay the same and let's just win this division over and over again, but never go any further. So I feel like he's just, he's just getting paid. He doesn't really care. Um, I like Colleen's approach that he's not even actually like managing. (laughs) Someone else is just like pulling the strings like a weekend at Bernie's type thing. 
listen, O'Keefe, disagree. Tony clearly learned, uh, as far as we know, learned something about driving home. As far as we know, we'll hear those stories one day. But as right now, he learned how to daughter Uber. teaching him about Uber. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, hey, um, jokes on all of you. And I am speaking to everyone listening, reading, and of course, my lovely, a lovely guest. Jokes on you. If you thought Marcus Simeon was a guy the White Sox needed him as 40-something home runs or whatever. Hey, has he ever hit like a 460-foot home run in the playoffs? Laurie's back. Second base, baby. They never said they wanted Marcus. They just wanted someone like him. You really just need to read that over and over again. Like. The like does a lot of work. He's clearly (laughs) Marcus Simeon 2.0. So we're fine. We've got him. Humanoid, baseball player, Mm -hmm. second baseman. That's like enough. Yeah. Marcus, come call in when you've hit a four, when you put it out 460 in the playoffs. Okay. Talk to us then. Maybe we'll give you 25 million for 600 years into the future. All right. Let's transition a little bit into what is pretty, a pretty wild free agent market before we take our break. Uh, prices seem a little inflated. And um, if not that, the fact that there's this furious stampede to spend and then come midnight. Wednesday night, midnight tonight, as this is publishing Wednesday, midnight tonight, the owners are going to pivot and say, we ain't got nothing and we can't give you nothing. You're lucky we even provide some ramen for you minor leaguers to eat. And certainly once you make the majors, you got to eat ramen for a while too. Uh, Thoughts on a robust uh, free agent market, it seems. It's tough to see the White Sox getting anyone from the top tier. I mean, a lot of the top tier free agents are already off the board for, and it's unusual for that to happen this early in the off season, although it's pretty clear why that's happening this year. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's good to see players being offered these big deals early on in the off season and um, that it's been certainly entertaining seeing the hot stove this week which has been quite hot but uh yeah it's it's not looking likely that the white Sox are going to hit a home run with any like at, at any of the positions where they're in the biggest need right now um, I was wrong about the White Sox at the deadline, you know, be, with their, they were more aggressive than I thought they'd be. So, so I, I've been surprised before by them and I could be surprised again, but I am having a tough time seeing it this time around. I'm happy for my like Mariners and Mets mutuals, like good for them, I guess, <sighs> whatever. Um I just wish that our GM was not sitting at the kids' table because, like, clearly their GMs right. were, like, at the grown-up table, <laughs> like, hanging out, having a great conversation. And Rick is just like, man, where are the chicken fingers? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. where's my dipping sauces? Yeah, I like the person who said, uh, or people who said, uh, he, just, he just assigned Grateman and he just put his phone, do not disturb. <laughs> Just chuck it into the 
stupid lake. That's what he probably did. Like, all right, I got my guy. I can just go take a little nap. Whatever. Just grow up and please just, if they don't like announce Chris Bryant tonight, I'm just going to scream into my pillow, actually. Oh, gosh. Uh, Joe, yeah, you might hear the echoes throughout the greater Indianapolis metropolitan area. Uh, I love Detroit talking big, getting Carlos Correa and, uh, you know, not that he's not a trash can cheater, but now they're sad drop, cue the sad drop home. It's, it's still, what, like 20, still like 25 million, what, 24, 25 million. Holy Christ. Wow. Price is definitely down uh, on, on Javi Baez, but they're definitely still going to spend, uh, they planned on spending 350 million and they're going to spend 350 million. Um, I keep hearing people constantly defending Reinsdorf saying like, oh, didn't you guys realize there was no fans for 2020? And all these other teams seem to have forgotten that there wasn't any fans in 2020. So when they realize that they're actually poor and they don't have this money to give, it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, red faces around the league. But um, actually, Spot Track has been on pretty good. Like they missed on uh, the AAV for uh, Scherzer because nobody thought that that was going to happen. That was uh, Cohen being mad at Steve Matz and like, just I'm going to get this guy no matter what. But like, honestly, if you average it out, who, what they were doing as far as, uh, you know, value that they thought, like they're within like, you know, 40 or $50,000. Like, so they're not super far off on a lot of these guys. So it's interesting to see where somebody like Radon or, you know, Stroman's going to end up. Um, they both kind of have different issues, uh, you know, off the field or injury or, you know, perception of them as players, but um, it's been fun. I like, I like watching players get signed. I like players getting paid. I like teams getting better. I like teams trying to win like more of that and less of uh, whatever the uh, pirates are trying to do with their $20 million payroll for the team. It's also Cohen knowing, sorry, Mets fans, it's also Cohen, know, Cohen knowing that he's got untold millions and billions stashed offshore and dozens of banks. What does he care? Maybe, he got, maybe, he got maybe away Jerry can ask for, if Jerry can ask for a short-term loan, because he's not going to be around very much. So Cohen, just help me out a little bit. I just need one championship and then I'll uh, pay back. He, Steve Cohen makes me thankful, like very grateful that Jerry is too old for Twitter. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's a mess. Let's, let's not forget either that Scherzer is like the number one player rep in the union too. So you know he just sought out the owner with the <clears throat> with with the Cayman Islands bank accounts and be like, we are setting the market here, uh, which is actually what he did. He got on Zoom directly with them. Apparently, that was the big story today. Like, oh, Cohen used Zoom. Like, I this crazy like business. All right, like, oh, I didn't know you were such a good businessman that you figured out what Zoom was, Steve Cohen. <laughs> Or it's, uh, it's his 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 drunk uncle act on Twitter or something. But uh, now I'm actually I'm not as pessimistic, I think, about the White Sox free agent outlay because there is going to be a period uh, after after assuming this lockout ends. We're not going to, you know, fade into Bolivian with, you know, no baseball ever being played again. There are going to be players who still need to be signed. And I still think what, I, what made me think that about Scherzer was uh that's what happened to Yasmani Grandal. That's how he ended up on the White Sox. He refused the Mets lowball offer because he wanted to set the market for catchers. And that's what he did. And I still think the White Sox probably have, you know, one of those signings left in them. Uh, Yankees fans are freaking out right now, too. And if there's one thing that our two franchises have in common, because we really don't have a lot in common at all, uh, it's that 
waiting to see what the luxury tax line and what that structure is going to look like for the future before making any big spending moves is very much in character for both owners, for both Jerry and Hal Steinbrenner. So uh, I I think stuff will happen eventually. It's really annoying that they're once again, not the team spending $300 million. um, And that we don't have something really to look, look forward to going into the lockout, but um, you know, that's, that's what I'm telling. That's the carrot on the stick. I'm dangling to myself Mm -hmm. to get through uh, Mm the coming months, I guess. That and deciding to detox from Twitter and, and different intervals, obviously taking a, taking a, a healthy lap is a, is a good thing. Zach Hayes is going to be optimistic about this offseason until Michael Conforto is off the board. Then we're going to get a different Zach, and he's going yeah, to be watching, a little bit angrier. Watching uh, Bryce Harper now like keep continuing to plummet down the list of you know AAV as far as like what he makes each year. He's I think he's at eighteen now. It's like oh, it's looking like such a great deal, and we're like we couldn't even talk to him. Like you know we like like nope, not going that high on anybody. They decked out the United Center, man. They put like a banner up. We brought him in. We brought him in. We said hello, gave him a cup of tea, and then Mm -hmm. you know sent him on his way with his. Go to the real teams now, Bryce. All right, let's take a break. Uh, We got a little time left to talk about some other stuff going on. uh, A little bit, maybe a little bit less aggravating. We'll see on Sunday. going to take a break be back in a minute hey how about that i just decided to stop we're back though it's uh truncated uh, part two of podcast number 76 delightful uh, bevy of guests here we've been talking off season and let's talk about another aspect of the off season now and that is uh something that is uh dear to white Sox or it should be to all baseball fans but particularly for white Sox fans because we have gosh a veterans ballot coming up results being announced by the baseball writers uh, on Sunday. Uh, and I want to say there's like five of the 10 uh, candidates uh, up for election uh, have White Sox ties, uh, some very minor. But uh, we also have our, it's a slightly different ballot because we've already, because Southside Sox readers are smart, we've already elected people like Minnie Mignoso and Dick Allen represent dick allen uh to our hall of fame so (laughs) big shock we're a step ahead of the baseball writers and executives and former players uh but we have our veterans election going on it's uh still we got a couple more days to vote so go ahead and vote if you haven't uh a good ballot there and it parallels by and large to some degree uh the ballot that's out there with the baseball writers uh, Adrian, we know you are uh, been very impassioned, as most of us have been, about Minnie Mignoso's uh, candidacy. Uh, and of course, there are other, you know, Dick Allen, also ex- extremely worthy. Really, that entire ballot, maybe save for a couple guys, uh, really deserve. They should be in the Hall of Fame already. Uh, thoughts about maybe how many people you see getting elected? Uh, most recently, I think they pitched a shutout, or maybe they just got one guy in. Uh, oh, God. And there was a uh, Harold Baines. Election. Oh, it, it is sort of a mess the way they're doing it. The ballot is stacked. It's really hard to elect really more than one person. How, how do you see things uh, playing out on Sunday? I think I saw somebody say that they just kind of looked at the list once they got the list of officially what the makeup of was of this, you know, uh, group of people. And it seemed to very much point towards Minnie Minoso getting the nod. Like, I don't I, I hate that this process is to the fact that like you can look at the people involved and say like, all right, they're probably going to vote for this. <laughs> like, It's like it shouldn't be about this mm-hmm. at all. But like um, it seemed like he was going to get it and maybe one other person, which is still a bummer. Like, I feel like we should be able to, to have a discussion and try to get in at least three of these guys, if not for all four, you know, just make it happen. Like yeah. 
what are you there for? Are you there to get people into the Hall of Fame or keep people out of the Hall of Fame? They really need to make a decision on this. Yeah. yeah. Adrian, among the countless dozens who probably sent that out, I did say that. And it does look like that. Uh, we have we have the right combination that seems to favor, although I think a trendier recently deceased candidate, and a sick that we have to think of it this way, is Dick Allen. Uh, it seems likely one of the other will be elected. Uh, what, what are our thoughts, uh, Minoso versus Allen? I think it's so incredibly dumb that we even have to have this conversation, um, especially because we are taught. I mean, the Hall of Fame has such a pattern of waiting until people are dead to give them their flowers. They did it to Marvin Miller, too. Um, they had to wait to people for people to die who wanted to keep him out, you know, before before they could put him in. Uh, and so now, you know, this isn't going to stop happening. We're kind of being confronted with a legacy where. Um, non-white players from decades past who were kind of underappreciated and often disrespected during their playing careers um, kind of leave us and we're forced to deal with these things and like look at their careers in retrospective and, and have to you know say uh, they deserve to be in the hall of fame but they got kicked off the ballot their second time with you know three percent of the vote uh, so you get all these stacked ballots where it's like yeah, they should both be in. They should all, all of the people on these ballots really should be in, you know, it's the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of the whole conversation is just kind of gross in some ways. Yeah. Minnie's legit best showing in the actual, you know, free for all normal ballot, you know, whatever you call it, the general ballot. I want to say it was like 2%. It's a, a preposterous. I mean, most of these guys, I want to say made it at least a 20% and then they fell off whatever. Yeah. Mini back in more of the dark ages, I think it was maybe the early seventies. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Uh, okay. Um, uh, mini, uh, Dick, both, neither. Uh, I'll just go around the Brady circle. Adrian, what's it going to be? It should be both, but it's probably just going to be mini. Okay. Crystal. Yeah. Same should be both. Probably just mini. Zach attack. Uh, probably just mini unless they develop, you know, a newfound sense of shame, but all right, Joe. Yeah, nothing to add. I, I'd lean toward them just picking Mini out of those two, but I would absolutely give both of them my vote and probably even slightly more emphatically for Allen. I mean, he was just such a great hitter. And, um, but yeah, I would strongly be in favor of both of them getting in. All right, I'm breaking from the pack. I think these people are going to get the act together. They realize they've been embarrassed. In fact, pitching a shutout, giving many one less vote from uh, early uh, 2010s to mid 2010s election. I think Dick Allen and Minnie are going to get in through a concerted effort by the voters because they like talk to each other and, and realize that the ballot's too stacked and they've got to do this. And then I do think because of the embarrassment, as, as Zach alluded, of <laughs> You're dead. Let's elect you now. I do think they're going to make a real effort to get one person at least a good amount of votes, if not in. Uh, so I think that would be a Cot versus Tony Oliva. I'm not really sure who who would have the advantage there. I do I think, think a living. I think Ken Boyer's got a good chance too. But yeah, I think they're going to try to get at least one living guy in. They're going to make good on Minoso and then hopefully yeah. get talk to each other and get somebody yeah. else in. I think at the very least, you've got to get one of the living candidates and one person who has passed away and very worthy. I would think at the minimum you get two people in, uh, but I, I like the chances, you know, it's going to be like a little socks wave here. I actually think that, that, that Dick Allen and Minnie Minos are both 
uh, going to get there. Uh, so let's hope that somehow my, how did this happen that I'm the most optimistic of all of you? There's something, there's something very wrong with me apparently. Oh, no, wait, it's the spirit. It's the spirit of the Serrano wear. Yes. T public Southside hip pen. Oh, it's not hard to find. It's people. It's, I'm talking to the camera like anybody's watching. Uh, hi mom. Uh, okay. Um, Hey, listen, uh, we also found out today we don't have our piece up yet um, on Lamar Hoyt, but uh, Lamar Hoyt, um, I think it's been um, confirmed now, did pass away, I believe yesterday. Uh, Lamar Hoyt was an absolute hoss. I think he handed the baton to Jack McDowell in terms of being a true workhorse. And then I'm not sure the White Sox have had one in the same way, I, you know, coming and going, but a uh, different type of baseball now, but Lamar Hoyt came out of nowhere, throw in in a, a Bucky Dent, uh, Oscar Gamble trade in 1977 and uh, clawed his way into starting rotation. And then basically never got yanked out of games. Uh, he was the guy who was going to pitch game five in 1983, had the White Sox decided to somehow avoid the curse of Tito Landrum and see a fifth game. And the White Sox would have been in the World Series that year and had a decent chance of winning. Uh, any thoughts? I don't know if any of you were even alive for winning ugly, but uh, any thoughts on the passing of Lamar Hoyt, uh, who did have some troubles, but he, he certainly uh, put in some great service to the White Sox. I was just struck by how young he was. I mean, he's like a year older than my mom. So that it's just, I mean, it's sad no matter how old someone is, but yeah, 66, that's, that's still really young. So that was really sad. Yeah, he's one of those uh, characters that you just love about baseball that just kind of come out of nowhere. Like that, eight, like out of a sudden, it's just like 82, 83, and then he's gone. It's like, you know, the Mark Fidriches and the Dontrell Willises that are just like, you don't know, like a, the baseball is just so hard to play that, like you know, you can get it all together for a little bit and just can't keep it together for whatever reason. And uh, But yeah, just one of those guys, it's what makes baseball worth watching every day. You don't know what you're going to see or, you know, you don't have all the answers. White Sox went right from Lamar Hoyt to a guy. Uh, here's a deep cut. Uh, Bob James, who had a year or two as a closer, ex bigger even than Lamar Hoyt, also bearded, uh, very husky, unbelievable curveball, you know, for the time he had it. Uh, and then the White Sox, I think, maybe, did they spin him? No, maybe that was Barry Jones. They sp spun one of those guys for Tim Raines. So they, they made some good moves there in the 80s. Uh, and listen, it, you know, a guy who was actually reading the newspaper, who was an active fan at the time of the trade of Lamar White. You want to talk about, we've had some rightfully aggressive takes on trades and moves made by the White Sox. You want to talk about a trade that was nuts. Taking a guy who had an off year after a Cy Young year and trading him for a skinny, what was he, 19? Nothing got promising guy. Okay, maybe a future Louis Apricio and Ozzy Yen. Uh, that was a controversy. I mean, obviously, Ozzy made a payoff right away by winning Rookie of the Year and I guess probably even being colorful as he was still grasping the language. But you want to talk about a controversial trade. Holy cow. You know, I guess there had been a little bit of rumor and talk about some of uh, Hoyt's off-field problems, and he certainly did not look like a professional athlete, but he produced results and they shipped him off to San Diego for this guy who weighed 110 uh, with a with a bushy mustache and... Uh, and a motor mouth. And that's all we have to say on that. That's Lamar Hoyt. Rest in peace, Lamar. Uh, 
key part of winning ugly. It was good. The, the White Sox continue to reach out to him. I do believe he made Sox Fest appearances. I do believe he did some promotional stuff uh, with the team as well. So I'm glad he sort of came back and maybe got back a little bit into baseball after really uh, leaving in some disgrace. Um, you know, he, the San Diego ate, I think $3 million of his contract uh, after he had been actually arrested and I think jailed for a short time for some of his drug possession. Um, and that, you know, I mean, that's probably, that's a lot for the White Sox. Today. <laughs> so back in the mid eighties for San Diego to do that, they really wanted to get rid of the White Sox, gave him a chance to make a comeback and he was still having his, his off field problems and he could never really get back to it. Uh, we do have a little bit of bonus time. Uh, is there something we have not addressed that we need to uh, on perhaps at least our last podcast before the veterans ballot is announced. Uh, if not the next huge moves, Chris Bryant, Michael Conforto, just uh, the rest, the White Sox just take the rest, whatever is left on the table and just bring them to Chicago. Other things we missed. I would just like to say that the um, domestic violence policy with this organization is a joke. And if you're going to give someone a paid three-week vacation, then honestly, like, just go, I'm going to swear, Brett, don't get too much. Just go fuck yourself because you can't just let men continue to get away with this just because they are famous and athletic and they bring in fans and they sell jerseys. Like, no, what they do time after time, what they've done with Trevor Bauer, what they have just recently done with Marcella Zuna, it's a joke. And I'm really angry. That's what I'm going to say about it right now because I can get very heated mm-hmm. and I don't want to take up like 20 minutes of your time. Anyway, it's a joke. Do better MLB. Yeah. Simply keeping Bauer off the field really isn't enough. I mean, it's better than having him on the field, but it's really not enough. And, uh, Unfortunately, we are probably going to be devoting podcast time to this very topic and probably devoting entire podcasts as we have. And it's sad that we can't shake this, but we probably will be doing so. I mean, spinning off of that, tying in right away is uh, somehow Omar Vizquel is still on the ballot for the Hall of Fame <laughs> and getting votes. Um, and the vote. just, the, whole, the whole thing is gross. It's like can, we, Pete Rose is on ours. Like, uh, you know, I voted for him because, like, you know that Pete Rose, you know, six months after he dies is going to magically be absolved of all sins and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, well, then he should just be in it. Like, I don't understand. Like, just put him in it and t- tell his story about why he was not in it for so long and be done with it. Like, I don't understand. Kurt Schilling has said he doesn't want to be on the ballot and is, I don't know how, how and on the dirtbaggery scale, I might argue more of a dirtbag than Omar, but that's a truly, I don't know, it's a toss up, but, and he's gotten, I see him in at least one vote. He's on the board. I'm going to use my, my allotted extra time here to <laughs> say, can we just give Joe Cowley the Jay Mariani treatment at some point and just get him the hell out of here? I swear to God, that dude is like a freaking, you know, high school edgelord 4chan poster trying to, you know, send in his ballot to piss off the libs or something like that. I mean, he really checked off all the boxes. He said, you know, who on this ballot has committed some sort of violent act or like supported an insurrection? Who has done that? And I'm going to vote for them and then be like, you know, I thought about Mark Burley, but, you know. Not enough, not enough QAnon rants on Twitter, I guess. So, you and know, they, uh, that's if we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. And they gave him back his Twitter. That's Hashtag not going to I hadn't even seen that. Oh, 
good. You know, I, oh, I was, was on the beat that. with. Uh, it's brutal. It's brutal. I was on the I beat with Joe Joe Collie. We had uh, we had we had some heated moments. I always thought that we'd have we could do a talk show, and that with every one of them, as the credits began to roll, would end with us launching at each other over the table we were talking at, starting to fight as the credits rolled. But it never happened. It would have been fun. Uh, oh, good ballad show. <laughs> Way to go. Gee, I hope he gets a vote for the Basketball Hall of Fame one day, too. Uh, yeah, that's like, might as well give Nightingale a, a NBA Hall of Fame vote. Like, why not, you know? You know, it would be super cool if they gave women more votes. Hey! Because then you wouldn't have an Omar or a Kurt or any other freaking abuser in your um, Hall of Fame. Because once again, they have that clause, that character clause. Oh, the time's coming. Things are changing. Be patient, Crystal. I mean, they got, the Perez, are got the Perez but... family. The Perez family, one of them is a Hall of Famer, and neither of them can get a vote. <laughs> like, constantly going for Minnie Minoso, but like, no, we can't give them a vote. Like, yeah, no things kidding. are never going to change. I have no faith. All right. Well, on that note, uh, uh, happy <laughs> December. We are uh, here to celebrate all the White Sox signings and lament all the non signings and really cross our fingers for at least one good Hall of Fame result. Because frankly, the regular ballot is very problematic. It's filled with potholes. So let's just forget about that one. Let's put all of our good vibes toward Guinea Minnie, Guinea Dick Allen, heck, getting Kitty Cot in in the Hall of Fame. For God's sake, let's get somebody in the Kevin Boyer. He played for the Sox for a little bit. Come on. Uh, okay, well, thanks, Adrian, Crystal, Zach, Super Joseph. Uh, this ends podcast number 76. We'll be back at the at the very latest uh, after the veterans announcement on Sunday. Until then, we'll see you.